Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter. The Riveter is a modern union for working women offering content, community, and work and gathering spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. The Riveter has been my work community and home for the last two years. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my post-event chats and kitchen conversations with my fellow Riveters. Ask anyone at the Riveter Fremont, I like to hang out in the kitchen. There is chocolate there. Equity of opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That's totally me. So I use Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. Best thing ever. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. That's a really good deal, y'all. One you won't find just going to the Armoire website. Visit armoire.style to get started and use that discount code. It helps the show when you do. There's even a link right in your podcast player in the episode notes for easy access. I wish that people understood that it is not a bad word, that it doesn't make you a man hater, but it's one that I'm still amazed at how common that idea is. And that feminism is not about like a binary choice of like a set of rules that you have to follow in order, you know, to be allowed onto Feminist Island or you will get kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> but I hope that the way that we talk about feminism on Unladylike is able to show the nuances and dig into the gray areas because I feel like that's where so much of the richness and the potential of feminism really is. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive and lifestyle coach, Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy living, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and leadership, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your work and life to recapture your momentum and achieve your big dreams now. Hey there, I'm going to get right into it this week because I could not be more excited to introduce you to this week's guests. I'll try not to be too much of a fangirl, but quick reminder before I do that, please take five minutes to tell me what you think about the podcast by going to laradolch.com slash podcast survey. I'm already planning season eight of the show, and it would be a huge help to learn a little bit more about you, my listeners, and what you like and don't like. Producing podcasts can often feel like shouting into a black hole. You know your stuff is going out there, but you have no idea how it's landing. In fact, my guests this week and I talked a little bit about that because they're podcasters too. So help a girl out by filling out my super quick, mostly multiple choice survey. You can do that by going to laradolch.com slash podcast survey. That'll take you straight to a Google form. And thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. With a motto like stay curious, build empathy, raise hell, is it any wonder I invited Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin on the podcast? 
Kristen and Caroline are the co-founders of Unladylike Media and the co-hosts of the feminist podcast Unladylike, one of my absolute favorite podcasts. They also happen to be fellow Southerners and enthusiastic supporters of using the word y'all. As a Gen Xer, I have mixed feelings about the word feminism. It comes with all kinds of psychological and cultural baggage. But Kristen and Caroline's empathetic, inclusive, well-researched, humorous, and human approach to feminist issues has truly transformed what it means for me to identify as a feminist. We talked about what being unladylike means to Kristen and Caroline and why it matters, How being a feminist doesn't mean automatically condoning anything a woman does, and why there are different kinds of feminism. Why Kristen, Caroline, and I are bringing y'all back to meetings, boardrooms, and all manner of serious situations. It is such a useful word. We talked about why Kristen is totally okay with including the Real Housewives and her self-care routine. And finally, we talked about steps that you can take to clarify your point of view and speak out more confidently about issues you believe in, whether they're feminist issues or not. This was one of my favorite conversations so far in the podcast. I know you'll love Kristen and Caroline's unapologetic, informed, and sassy approach to slaying the patriarchy. Enjoy. I reached out to you because I can't think of a better metaphor for blazing your own trail, which is, of course, sort of the sub-theme of this season, than your definition of being unladylike. Can you share that for my listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work yet? Yeah, so for our purposes, uh, being unladylike is all about breaking the rules, And those rules being sort of any expectation that society has put on you just because of your gender. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always so inspired with your unapologetic (laughs) unladylikeness, I guess, is the way to say that. And I think part of that comes from the fact that as a Gen Xer, I think my generation I don't know, tell me if you agree with this, has more discomfort with that. Do you find that to be the case? I do think that there has been a generational shift just around the concept of feminism. And I, I don't know, I, I, I think from my like armchair perspective, I have a hunch that since I feel like Gen X kind of came of age during a more overtly conservative backlash time when feminism really was considered a dirty word. And also at the time you had the kind of the failure of the Equal Rights Amendment being ratified and just the feminist movement at large, like really took a lot of blows. And I think for Gen Y, especially around, um, I think honestly, like social media and technology has had a lot to do with it as well in terms of reclaiming the term and also evolving it beyond just a, a very like white feminist kind of lens. And now it's wild to see too how Gen Z is taking it even further in terms of just kind of blowing up concepts of the gender binary um, and embracing sexual fluidity and um, really integrating ideas around feminism, even if they aren't exactly like using that particular language. So, um, so yeah, I do think there's, there's a bit of a generational shift. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I remember, you know, during the time of like, 
you know, Lilith Fair in the (laughs) late 90s, which is when, you know, I was sort of becoming, you know, I was in my 20s and I was probably becoming more conscious about sort of feminism in general, but I never would have called myself a feminist. And I even then, you know, remember getting backlash from male friends who would say, you know, you seem unapproachable because you're so into this stuff. And, and that takes its toll, I think. And so, and I love, I love that, that, Gen Y and Gen Z are opening up this dialogue. And I said to someone the other day that I really have started to think of you all as, you know, as my teachers. And I think that that's something that, you know, is a helpful frame too, because sometimes we can be um, critical of other generations in some ways, but it's also important to remember that we can all be teachers to each other. So I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, happening. I think on the flip side too, there's so much learning, like you said, kind of that goes both ways because we do hear from, and work with younger women who are not aware of just how <laughs> how bad things were very yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like there's so much of just like history in the 90s around women, uh, you know, with like the Anita Hill uh, case and all of that, that we're still kind of figuring out a lot of very recent history that is easy, I think, for us to lose sight of that, like, when we think of, like, oh, like, patriarchy and, like, women's oppression, oh, that that must have been from the suffrage days, like, no, 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 (laughs) there's still a lot of barriers that we've been breaking through very, very recently. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I have to just highly recommend that my listeners read your book, obviously listen to your podcast too, but I hadn't, I still honestly haven't finished reading your book. I picked it up last week and I was like, oh, I'll just finish this in a couple of days. I'm like, oh, this is like a history tome. <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, I had no idea. But I have learned even in the, you know, probably, you know, half the book that I've read so far, I have learned so much about what you're saying. Like, so just that it's not you know, or that it is recent, rather, a lot of things that I didn't even realize. And, you know, it's funny just thinking about what we're talking about, sort of the frame that we all grew up in and how that affected our willingness to claim the term feminist. I grew up going to a girl's school, K through 12. And of course, you know, in that frame, our teachers called us ladies. <laughs> so I still find myself addressing groups of women as ladies sometimes. And I mean it as a term of respect or endearment, but I I also get why it's problematic. And so my question for you, should I be kicked off the island of feminists for <laughs> for using that term sometimes? Yes, that is the only that is the only criterion to be on Feminist, feminist Island, island. <laughs> uh, which is our new TV show coming to screens nice. this fall. Um, no, I, I totally get it. Like, Kristen and I, this is something that we with each other and with our team have talked about, like the term ladies. It is so ingrained. I've absolutely called friends, ladies. It, it, it did become like kind of a sassy term of endearment, especially when women were like, wait a second, I'm a grown ass woman. I don't want to be called a girl or call my friends yeah. girls. Um, and a woman can feel so like formal. <laughs> woman. Hello, <laughs> women. women. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Seems hilariously. Yeah. The next step is calling them females. Like it just, it feels a little totally. stodgy and strange. I do think as much of a natural like term of endearment as that can be and like a natural place for our brains to go because it does not have the baggage of girls, you know, 
I think we'd all be well served to, to be a little more inclusive with our language, but that's just a matter of like actually being aware of why some folks might be uncomfortable with that terminology and um, thinking of different options. Yeah. And I think that it's in this discussion too, it's important for us to make a distinction between, you know, ladies as a just general term of reference and the concept of ladyhood Mm -hmm. and being ladylike because ladyhood is a thoroughly white, straight, classist construct. And so when we're talking about being unladylike, that's what we want to give the middle finger to. The idea that the only way that a woman can be worthy is if she looks a certain way acts a certain way and has a certain amount of money and is able to show it in that way. So it's not so much about, you know, policing speech, but rather thinking about just the deeper roots of where these terms come from. And also, you know, back in history, who was and who wasn't allowed to be a lady. Yeah. Yeah. And growing up in the South too, I'm sure you all can, I I think you both grew up there. I know you went Mm -hmm. to school there. Yeah. I mean, in the South, I feel like it takes on a whole other layer of privilege and baggage as well. And so I've also got that, you know, baggage (laughs) hanging in the background too. (laughs) But yeah, I think, thank you for clarifying that. Cause I think that that's, you know, it's not the, it's not the word itself. That's the problem. It's the implications of it, like with any language. And I caught my, and I actually, I just realized I said it to you all when we first started, I said, you, Hey, you, you know, you guys, it's nice to meet you. And I have caught myself recently saying you guys a lot too, which is uh, (laughs) also not inclusive and have been really, you know, trying to, so it's just language is powerful. I think is really what, right. Like what we're getting at here. And the, you guys is one, that's the one that I have to catch myself mm-hmm. on as well, because we, we will hear from listeners when we, you know, casually drop it in on the podcast, just not thinking. And it's one of those terms where like, I had to kind of stop myself when we were first kind of called out for it because I was like, but come on now, like it's guys, it's like a almost gender neutral at this point. And the, uh, the, the listener response that stuck out to me was from a woman who, like the reason why it upset her so much was because she works in a highly like male dominated office where the whole concept of being like just one of the guys is such a thing. And so when she hears it, it does, you know, it triggers all those things and it feels so exclusionary. And so, you know, I I try to do better in terms of yes, watching my language and also taking a beat and a breath if we are criticized for the words we use to, to try to get more of the context around like, okay, what is the perspective of like where these folks are coming from who are feeling a particular way or feeling irritated or excluded by what might feel like a, a totally innocuous word. And it's great us being in the South and being actual Southerners who can totally get away with saying y'all. Yeah. Um, yes. Because yes. y'all means all. And it's funny, when we first started the show, we heard, I'm not going to say this is like a lot of people, but we heard from a handful of sprinkling of people, including a man or two, (laughs) who was like, you, you stop that right now. You clean up the way that you speak and stop saying y'all, you sound ridiculous. Oh, interesting. And it's, 
you know, it's like, well, uh, no, we're Southern. We get to say y'all also it's more, it's more inclusive. Period. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, more it's actually inclusive. gender neutral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine last night at an event. She is a black woman, grew up in Nebraska and says y'all a lot too. And we were talking about this and, and saying like, you know, y'all just doesn't feel um, formal enough in like a corporate setting or like we were just feeling around for what the alternative is. And, you know, the uncontracted version of y'all, which of course is you all, sounds a little whatever, just stodgy or what, but that's, I mean, that's the best I've been able to come up with. So I, you know, I hear you like y'all is the most useful <laughs> word. You could always walk I, into a room and say, hello, friends hello, and humans. enemies. <laughs> yes. Make I them know. guests. It's so crazy. I, I wish y'all, or I hope that y'all stops being perceived as informal because it's just so useful. But moving on from language, because we could talk about that all day. <laughs> I am also a language nerd. But what was it like for you all when you first realized that you had to break the rules of, you know, ladylike behavior or whatever you want to call it to, to make progress, to achieve your goals? So in our situation, the first, the first thing that comes to mind for me, Caroline, is when we decided when we were working at our previous corporate job and doing a similar kind of thing, hosting a feminist podcast, talking about you know similar kinds of issues, but within a corporate structure where ultimately like our ideas and our feminism was only enriching, uh, to be totally honest, um, mostly white men at the top. <laughs> and <laughs> for me, that was the biggest sort of awakening of, okay, I'm really going to have to break the rules, not only in terms of just voicing my opinion at work and figuring out how how we can make this happen, but also my own personal rules of like, you know, jumping away from somewhat of a security blanket and saying, sure, okay, yeah, let's go into business for ourselves. Let's, you know, claim and own the media that we're making and bet on ourselves. That felt tremendously unladylike to me. And uh, I didn't, the good thing is, I, I don't know that I was that conscious of it at the time, but in retrospect, I think that was... That was a, a major, major moment for me. Mm -hmm. What about you, Caroline? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would argue that it was pretty unladylike to finally walk the walk. You know, we had been telling our listeners for years to sort of claim their space, own what's theirs, know your worth, know your worth negotiate your salary, all of that stuff. And there just came a point when we realized that not only were we not being appreciated for what we were worth, that we weren't even fully demanding it. And so that involved walking out on a steady paycheck and benefits to launch our own company and work with a bunch of other women. Yeah. Super uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also amazing. Tell me about that. What was, what was especially hard, you know, besides obviously leaving behind the stability and that sort of thing that you just talked about and what was amazing about it? I mean, amazing would just be, well, it's funny, right? Cause it's like amazing, but also makes total sense now that I'm here of no longer answering to any men and not truly answering to a boss. Like I am my own boss. 
Kristen is her own boss. We own this company together. And it was terrifying to sort of take that leap of faith in terms of finances. But we knew that in order to like make the thing that we wanted to see, make the feminist media we wanted other people to consume, we would have to do it. Yeah, I I think that the, yeah, definitely the amazing part was just leaving that particular environment, which, and and that particular culture at the time, which just was not, it just wasn't a fit for where where we were going and what, what we wanted. The scariest thing to me and the thing that I did not think about at all before taking the leap was what it really means to be my own boss in the sense of, you know, when I was, when we were working for the man, literally, (laughs) when I was frustrated with something, or I felt like I had hit a wall, or I wasn't, you know, reaching my, my potential, I had sort of and a person who I could kind of blame that on in terms of the boss of like, well, if only he understood, if only, you know, he could do this and that. And if only he could see, you know, the waste of potential here, then everything would be fine. And while some of that was true, what I very quickly realized in becoming my own boss was when that other target is kind of taken away, it forced me to really come to terms with how how much of those issues and whatever those kinds of frustrations and the things that I felt were holding me back were actually my own issues and my own fears and my own just anxieties around this that I had maybe kind of scapegoated a little bit. So that's been a huge process for me, just really mentally kind of coming to terms with that and accepting myself for my strengths and my weaknesses and, and being, (laughs) and being a better boss to myself. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people going out on your own in, in whether it's business or in some other way is the best personal development tool ever (laughs) because of that, because you're faced with all of this stuff that you um, could hide behind other people prior to that. And it can be, yeah, kind of, kind of alarming. Hey, it's Lara here. I want to take a quick break from the interview to tell you about something. It's a program I created for women just like you called Vibrant Health Playbook. If there's a gap between the you now and the you you dream about, you know, the confident, put together, vibrant version of you that you know is in there, but maybe you've lost touch with, then I might be able to help. Vibrant Health Playbook is an eight-week coaching experience for women who need to prioritize feeling good so they can get the more they want out of career and life. I help them overcome their personal obstacles to eating better, exercising more, and managing time and stress. Then we create a full personalized plan, I call it the Vibrant Health Playbook, for working towards a big personal goal. And by the way, we do this without ridiculous diets, unsustainable exercise regimens, or unattainable in a perfect world, I'd meditate for an hour every morning kinds of plans. I kind of hate what that stuff and truthfully, 95% of the quote wellness industry does to women. That's exactly why I created Vibrant Health Playbook. If that sounds like something you could use, visit lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook to learn more and to read stories of other women who've completed the program. And if you decide to sign up in February, I'll give you $100 off the price just for telling me that you heard about it on the podcast. 
That URL again is lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook. You can message me right from that page to tell me you're interested and that you heard about Vibrant Health Playbook on the podcast. Now let's get back to the interview. Tell me about a time in terms of sort of backlash or, 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 you know, sort of maybe feeling hopeless or beaten down by all of it, you know, tell me about a time that you felt that way and, you know, what you did for yourself to get centered and strong enough to keep doing this work. The thing that we always come back to are what we hear from our audience and our listeners. And I know that there have been so many times, so many just bad days, times when I felt like I was, especially if you're making digital media, it can feel like you were speaking into a void and just kind of like <laughs> making totally making things, sending them to the internet and who knows where they will land. And you can feel very disconnected from kind of the ultimate result of your your sweat and labor and creativity. And in those times of feeling really frustrated and feeling maybe hampered by uh, the work situation we were in, whenever I would take the time and read emails, read comments, believe it or not, it was always the stories of the listeners and hearing what was going on in their lives and how they were finding us as a resource to help them through. That was always, always the thing that would instantly re-energize me. It would make me want to double down on everything. It sometimes fueled my anger in a good way and honestly made all of the struggle worth it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Caroline? Mm. I mean, I would have to agree. And, you know, I think one large literal example of how our work has helped us would be that the day after the 2016 election, even though we had been in tears for hours and hours from the night before, we knew that we couldn't leave our audience hanging. We had things to say, they had things to say, and we knew we had created such a community that we kind of wanted to talk to them directly. And so literally that next morning, Kristen and I went into the studio and recorded sort of like a, like an on the fly kind of bonus episode to talk about what had happened and why hope was not lost. And so in that way, like our work has literally gotten us out of bed in sort of the darkest times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It sounds like really connecting with your community, your impact and your, your purpose mm-hmm. are a big part of keeping you going. Yeah. I mean, we, Unladylike is nothing without the community because they're, they're not only like our cheerleaders, but also we learn so much from them mm-hmm. and they inspire episodes that we would not have otherwise thought about. And it's really that even though we are podcasters and it seems like we'd be having kind of a one-way conversation, it really is a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's making me think about obviously one of my interests in this podcast is self-care. And I know you talk a a bit about this in your book. Where does self-care fit into the larger conversation about the advancement of women, do you think? I mean, I think self-care is what allows us to keep going and not self-care as in a bubble bath per se, although I do love a bubble bath. (laughs) Um, 
But but quite literally, the way that the term self-care even evolved came from Dorothy Oram, a nurse who wrote about it as a literal like medical concept of, is this patient capable of self-care? Literally caring for themselves, feeding themselves, making sure they're getting active sleep, able active sleep, making sure they're able to get good sleep, move their bodies in some way. And only later did it start to expand in definition to include things like mental health and relaxation, whatever that means to you, watching Real Housewives. Like (laughs) those are definitely more modern and slightly fluffier connotations to it. But self-care in the literal like physical and mental sense is the way that we as humans can keep going and get up another day to fight another fight. Yeah, absolutely. And my listeners know that I agree wholeheartedly. What do you all do personally? What do you find to be the most rejuvenating um, from your perspective in in terms of your self-care? In terms of my self-care and being rejuvenated, I do a lot of YouTube yoga and Pilates um, because I can, I can do it at any time if I just have, you know, even if I only have like 10 minutes or maybe I have 45 minutes and can do more. There are a handful of channels that I really love that I can just roll out my mat in my, in my office and just get my body stretched out and moving. And that does make me feel rejuvenated Uh, at the same time. I don't know that it's rejuvenating, but Caroline mentioned the real housewives. And when, when I need to just turn my brain off and disconnect from all of just like the broader the broader turmoil and hustle and bustle for whatever reason i do find watching women's uh, intra friendship dramas very relaxing whether no shame it's rejuvenating in that. i don't know but oddly relaxing yeah i would i would have to say um Rejuvenating things for me would be spending time with my friends. The thought just occurred to me last night as I was sitting on the couch watching something on TV that was making me giggle that was not Real Housewives. Um, (laughs) You're not going to tell us what it was. (laughs) Uh, Well, it was Sex Education on Netflix, which is an incredible show. (laughs) Season two just started and I love it. And so I just was watching the first episode last night. But I am very capable of spending lots of time by myself, especially as someone who works out of my own home. I spend a lot of time alone. I was an only child. I'm very comfortable with my alone time. And I for sure need that to recharge. However, it can go too far and it can be very draining to spend too much time alone. And the thought occurred to me last night of like, girl, what what are some of your favorite memories in your life? They were not when you were alone. Um, they were when you were with people and that's true of, you know, whatever age, college, two years ago, who knows any of it. And so really spending time with my friends and catching up, shooting the shit, it, it is what revives me. I also did, this was not a new year's resolution. This was like a get your life together woman kind of thing, but I did just rejoin a gym and similar to Kristen, like getting back onto a yoga mat, getting back onto an elliptical machine, 
moving weights around with my body so that my skeleton doesn't collapse. <laughs> like these are all very important things. Oh, Caroline. Totally. Also though, I feel like you and I would be remiss to not mention the importance of therapy. Oh, hey, yes. Like, <laughs> yes. We both have wonderful relationships with our respective therapists and respect like each other's time that we take out each mm-hmm. week to go see said therapist um, and also feel very fortunate that that's a resource that we can access um, because especially like during the process of writing Unladylike the book we like Caroline was saying like in terms of self-isolation I was homeschooled from second through eighth grade so I'm I'm pretty great <laughs> at working working alone working in a silo and I similarly can get way too comfortable by myself and I think that once once the manuscript was done and we were kind of able to come up for air I think we've together as each other's, you know, business partners and work wives and, and friends, I think made a collective effort to make sure that we each are given the space to sort of reprioritize our self-care, whether that is, you know, time with friends or or a <laughs> very important time with therapists and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that it's funny. I lived in New York City for over a decade. And of course, in New York, everyone has a therapist. And <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just what one does. And I think, you know, that's, I mean, I think that's one of the great gifts of that city that people don't blanket that, that there's like, absolutely, there shouldn't be a stigma with therapy. It's, it's, I think that's great that you all yeah. prioritize that. And that's that. part of why too, like I talk about it all the time as much as I yeah. can. A, from a thing of just like, this is a thing that is part of my life. I'm going to tell you a story about how I went and my therapist said X, Y, Z thing. But also truly from a perspective, especially on the show, if I mention it, specifically from an angle of like, it's okay mm-hmm. to go to therapy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of my other favorite podcasts, I don't know if you all are familiar with uh, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. Yes. So, yeah. It's one of my absolute favorites. And Chris Gethard, who of course hosts that show, talks a lot about his uh, therapy and, and really advocates it. And I, I have great admiration for him for doing that. And like you said, just talking about it and normalizing it is is really, really important. What do you wish people understood about feminism? Well, I wish that people understood that it is not a bad word, that it doesn't make you a man hater. And I know that that's such a like old school stereotype. I mean, we were kind of talking about it earlier, but it's one that I'm still amazed at how common that idea is. And that feminism is not about like a, a, a binary choice of like a set of rules that you have to follow in order, you know, to be allowed onto Feminist Island or you will get kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> um, but, and I hope that like what we, I hope that the way that we talk about feminism on Unladylike is able to show the nuances and dig into the gray areas because I feel like that's where that's where so much of the the richness and the potential of feminism really is. Yeah, and I wish people knew that it wasn't a monolith. Yeah. You know, there are feminisms, plural. 
and to just say that feminism is this one thing collapses a lot of important nuance and a lot of important priorities that different people have because yes is is feminism about equality yes but there's 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 so much more to it. Feminism is a verb. It's an action. It's a movement. It is an ongoing, evolving thing, but it is also incredibly multifaceted. Yeah. And, and to quickly piggyback on that, it's for another thing that feminism is not, it's not saying that whatever any woman does, because she is a woman, that is worth celebrating and cheering on and is therefore good. I feel like in terms of you know, we think of feminism too often as a monolith, and we often think of women too often as a monolith. And I think through through feminism, there's just, there's so much richness in the varied and diverse experiences of of women's lives. And I think it's important to create the space to, yes, celebrate and uplift and support women, but also to be able to hold women just as accountable as we hold men. Yeah. So like feminism, we hope more women can run for office, right? We want women to be equal. We want them to have equal opportunities to men. But that doesn't mean we're not going to hold people accountable when they are exclusive, abusive, other ives and ists. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about both your podcast and your book is sort of the very clear focus on being intersectional and talking about the different kinds of feminism and the different groups that are part of that and how all those things interact. And it's, yeah, I have learned so much about that over the past, you know, couple of years and and the work that I do and, and especially from, from your book. So thank you for that. Um, What's, What's the first thing that listeners can do to kind of start taking steps to being more unladylike and making a difference, really? Hmm. I would say one step is owning your voice. I think part of that is figuring out how you honestly think and believe mm-hmm. about certain issues, thinking critically about whether that's you know politics or social issues or what have you. And then I think a good first step in being unladylike is just using that voice to talk about the issues that matter to you and and not staying silent, whether that's at the dinner table or at the city council meeting. Yeah, I, I think that the what you said about kind of giving yourself the room to figure out what your point of view is, is such a crucial first step. It reminds me of a conversation that we had on our episode, How to Marry Off Maiden Names, Um, We interviewed a woman who had a very conflicted relationship with her married last name because she just kind of like knee jerk was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll take my husband's last name. It was just kind of a matter of paperwork. And it was only in retrospect that she was like, wait, no, did I, maybe I did want to hang on to my name. I don't know. And the thing that jumped out to me in that conversation was that what she was really grappling with wasn't wasn't so much about the name but it was that she realized that she hadn't taken the time to figure out what her point of view really was and what her feelings were on this particular issue and i feel like that's that goes for just so many things because you know we're all we're all carrying like our own 
lived experiences and varied perspectives with us. And it's worth asking yourself, well, what do I think? And why do I think that? Why do I react to these certain things? And in addition to finding our points of view and using our voice, I also can't recommend enough the power of listening Mm -hmm. because if someone is listening to this, I'm going to guess that they probably listen to other podcasts. And I know for myself, like one of kind of the, the easiest like intersectional educations that, uh, that I give myself is going out of my way to listen to shows that are hosted by and about, and maybe even for people who do not look like me. And that so much can be gleaned from just listening in on those conversations and, uh, you know, talking less and, and listening more sometimes. Says the podcast. I mean, when when Kristen and I were starting on Ladylike and we were determining what kinds of people we would talk to and what kinds of people were unladylike, yes, some of them are absolutely activists and politicians, but the the bigger theme, the bigger idea is that we would talk to women and non-binary folks who were unladylike, not necessarily because they walked out of their house with two middle fingers in the air, (laughs) but just by virtue of how they lived their lives. So the woman we interviewed who was deeply ambivalent about being a mother, the women that we talked to who were open about the fact that they got an abortion, the women we talked to who worked in the, you know, crew pit for car racing. Like, these aren't women who go out of their way to scream profanities at passersby. You know, they're not being, like, performatively uh, abrasive. These are just people who go against all sorts of expectations for what women and femmes are supposed to be. Yeah. And in our like unladylike day to day, we have a motto that kind of guides our, our unladylike process, which is stay curious, build empathy and raise hell because there is so much power in just allowing yourself to ask why. Yeah. And then following it from there. Well, and I think that's the only way that you get clarity about your perspective. I mean, I really do. The more that you talk to people both like you and especially people who are not like you, that's how you begin to understand what you actually think about stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I could talk to you all all day (laughs) and I want to be mindful of your time. So I'm going to ask you to tell people where they can connect with you and your work. Okay. Well, you can find us at our website, unladylike.co, no M. You can find us on all the social media at Unladylike Media, and folks can always drop us a line at hello at unladylike.co. And if you'd like to listen to the podcast, just search for Unladylike on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform or app you've got, (laughs) we're there. Thank you so much, Kristen and Caroline. This was really fun. Well, thank you. Yes, we really enjoyed for having it. us. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. 
If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, share episodes on social media or with your friends, and use the discount codes from our sponsors. It's all a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media.